Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and this is a tape made especially for new believers, or it could apply to people who actually are born again, but they don't have very much understanding. Actually, I'm making this tape. It's the first tape in a two-tape set that I have, which we give out to all of the people who come forward and make a personal commitment of their life to Jesus, receive their salvation for the very first time. And so that's the purpose of this. And let me just say for all of you who have received the Lord into your life through one of our meetings and you receiving this tape set, well, welcome to the family. This is the most important decision you've ever made. And I believe that some of you probably know that, but it needs to be stated and it needs to be explained. And that's the purpose of this tape. Let me share a passage of scripture with you out of Matthew chapter 13. This was Jesus. He had taught on a parable called the parable of the sower. And this is a great teaching. It's one of my favorite things. He talked about four different types of people who receive the word of God and who are touched by the power of God. The very first type of person is listed here in Matthew chapter 13 verse 19 And it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one, that's speaking of the devil, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Now what this is saying is that when the word of God comes to a person and touches them, that Satan is going to come to steal away the word. And if you were to go through this entire parable and study all four types of people that are mentioned here, the only type of person that Satan had direct access to and the ability to steal from them what God had given was people who didn't understand. So that's the purpose of this tape. Uh, You've already made a commitment of your life to the Lord and you've believed. And if you were sincere in what you did, well, then the Lord has already produce salvation it's an instantaneous thing and god's truth has already come to pass but if you don't understand satan can talk you out of some of the benefits of your salvation now i don't believe that that means that you lose your salvation because there's many scriptures like over in second timothy chapter 1 and in verse 12 let me get to that at verse 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. If you truly made a commitment of your life to the Lord, then God keeps that commitment. Even though you may fail and you're going to make mistakes, God holds you to that. And so in a real sense, I guess you could say that once you make a commitment of your life to the Lord, even if you fall into discouragement and get to where you aren't standing and believing the way you should, God still upholds his end of the bargain and you still have your relationship with God. But who wants that? Because, see, you would miss out on the benefits of faith in the Lord. And so you don't want to lose that. You don't want to miss out on all of the benefits. Salvation is not only for the future when you die and go to heaven. But right now in this life, there is tremendous benefit to your new relationship with the Lord. But you have to understand it. It goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 2 
And in verse 11, it says, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. The Lord has sworn to you that if you would make him the Lord of your life, like if you came to the Lord and made a personal commitment of your life to the Lord in one of my meetings, I'm sure I used with you Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And that verse says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's a promise. And I'm sure that I shared that with you. So if you did that, if you confessed Jesus as your Lord, I mean, made a commitment of your life, bowed your knee and said, I want to serve you, I receive my salvation. Well, then the Bible says that you shall be saved. It goes on to say in the next verse, verse 10, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In verse 13 it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. It doesn't have any restrictions on it. And so if you have done that, God is faithful to himself. He will not deny you. There will be times that you fail in your commitment to the Lord. You are not going to be perfect from here on just because you got born again. Your born again spirit is perfect, but you are going to experience some thoughts, feelings, emotions, and actions that will be contrary to what you really want to do. And that does not mean that the Lord denies you. If you believe not, yet he abides faithful, he cannot deny himself. Man, that is a wonderful, wonderful piece of information. It goes on to say in Second Peter chapter 1, in verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It didn't say that grace and peace comes to you just by praying for it or just because you feel it. No, it says grace and peace comes through the knowledge of God. I'm talking about how important it is to understand what is taking place in your life and to have knowledge about God. If you've truly made a commitment of your life to the Lord, then the Lord has saved you. You are sealed and you are secure. But you need to understand and have knowledge or otherwise you won't have grace and peace manifest in your life. When you got born again, God gave you favor. And you do have the favor of God upon you. And if you understand it and follow through with what God has taught us in his word, then you will experience that grace and peace. But if you don't have that knowledge, you will still experience negative things. You know, many of you have spent your entire life going through this mindset where you enjoy the weekends and you hate working and you have gotten up and said things like, it's blue Monday, I hate Mondays, and you've spent a lifetime doing that. Now, if you just got born again over the weekend, you could be a totally changed person in your spirit, brand new, but if you have spent a lifetime just giving Monday over to the devil and being discouraged and depressed about it, well, if you aren't careful, it will you will still feel that same way. And you will go through Monday and just have a bad day because that's what you've talked. That's what you're believing for. It's what the way you've expected. And even though you're changed in your heart, it's not going to just automatically change. You will not automatically experience peace here unless you get the knowledge of God is what it's saying. 
You've got to know what has happened to you, and that's the purpose of this tape. He goes on to say in verse 3, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. It says all things that are godly and pertain to a godly type of life come through the knowledge of God. And that's talking about the word of God. The next verse, Second Peter chapter 1 says, talking about this knowledge of God, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the divine knowledge of God has given us these exceeding great and precious promises. This is talking about the word of God, and that's how you partake of God's nature. You literally begin to start having his love, joy, and peace in your life. You begin to start having health and prosperity and deliverance, and your whole outlook on life should and can change, but it only will happen according as you renew your mind. It says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, these are two of the scriptures that just changed my life back in 1967 and 68. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. The world word conform means to pour into the mold. In other words, there's going to be pressures on you. And if you aren't careful, you will be pressured into thinking and acting like everyone else. And this says, don't do that. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you made Jesus the Lord of your life, your spirit was completely changed and brand new. It's perfect. But you have to change the way you think now to match up with what has happened to you in your spirit. That's what the Bible is calling here about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Greek word for transform there in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 is the Greek word metamorpho. It's the word we get metamorphosis from. And that's describing the way that a little caterpillar spins a cocoon and then comes out a butterfly. If you want to see that kind of change in your life, the way you do it is through the renewing of your mind. Now, throughout this tape set, this tape and also the second tape, I'm going to be mentioning other tapes that I have available. The purpose of me mentioning these is not to just solicit you to get my materials. But it's because I have so much material I could say on this that I cannot cram it into just a little two-tape set. And so I'm going to be mentioning other tapes. I encourage you to take advantage of this. We've enclosed a printed little card inside of this tape set that will give you a listing of these tapes in the order that I think that you need to get them to be able to grow and mature in the Lord. And this is just to help you as our reason for doing this. But I have a four-tape album entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body. And this has changed my life. This is something that every brand new believer needs to understand. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
Now that says that there is a complete total change when you become a new creature in Christ. As a matter of fact, one translation says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new species of being that never existed before. This is talking about radical change. And many people who make a commitment of their life to the Lord, they are looking for that kind of a radical change, and yet after they pray, they may experience a confirmation in their heart, a knowing, an excitement, a freedom from fear or from guilt. And they may have enough feeling, enough perception that they say, yes, I believe a change took place. But then they wake up in the morning and they're in the same position. Like I've heard from a number of prisoners who prayed with someone because somebody quoted 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. They know that they need a new start. They need a new Uh, beginning and so they pray with this preacher but then they wake up in the morning they're in the same jail cell they're wearing the same jail clothes they are still having the guards treat them just the same their food tastes the same and all of a sudden they don't see this change and so many people immediately become discouraged many of them may say well i just don't believe it worked there was nothing real Some people will hold on and say, well, I know that something took place on the inside, but they become discouraged because they don't see it and they just don't ever see the full benefit of their salvation. But when the Bible says that you become a new creature, it's not talking about in the body that you became a new creature. If you were fat before you got saved, you're still going to be fat after you get saved. Old things don't pass away in your physical body and everything become new. Now, we've got a promise that someday that will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And it doesn't happen in your soul. That's what the Bible calls your mental, emotional part, or what most of us would call our personality. Your personality isn't instantly changed. If you weren't very smart before you got saved, you still aren't going to be very smart after you get saved. Now, you can draw on the ability of God and change that, but it's not automatic. But there is a third part of you. This is from... 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says you have a spirit, soul, and body. You can tell by observation that your body and soul haven't just totally changed. But in the spirit, there is a total, complete transformation on the inside of you. Total. But see, you can't see or feel your spirit. The only way you can actually know for sure what is going on in your spirit is to go by what God's word says. Because Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. If you want to know what has happened in your spirit, you have to look at God's word and take the report that it gives and just trust it. That's what the Bible calls faith. You operate by what God's word says, not just by how you feel. You may have felt tremendous things when you got born again. That's wonderful if you did. But with my own personal experience, I was only eight years old. And all I felt was I was under a conviction and a sense of uh, impending doom if I didn't accept the Lord. I'd heard a sermon on hell, and I was confused, and I asked my father about it. My father explained to me that, yes, hell was a real place, but that Jesus died to forgive me and that if I'd accept him, that I could be forgiven. And as an eight-year-old boy, I prayed and all I felt, I didn't feel any bells and whistles. It's just all of a sudden the fear, 
the sense of condemnation or of judgment that I had heard about hell. It was just totally gone, and I had absolute peace. It wasn't bells and whistles. It wasn't euphoric. I just felt peace. And so with me, it wasn't real dramatic. But here's one of the great truths that I want you to get. Feelings change, but facts don't. And the fact of the matter is that when you make a commitment of your life to the Lord, God will honor that commitment. He will never deny you. He will never turn you away. If you've made a true commitment of your life to the Lord, faithful is he who called you who also will do it. And you need to just know that. So you may wake up and not feel euphoric, but you know what? There was a change that took place, but it's in your spirit. And you are basically three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is always, always, always for God. It never fluctuates. And again, I encourage you, you must get this four-tape album that I've got entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body because it will explain this in much better detail than what I'm able to do right here. So your spirit is always for God. Your body is not necessarily bad or evil. It's just always controlled and influenced by your surroundings, your environment, your five senses, what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. If things are good around you, well, your body feels good. If things are bad around you, your body may feel bad. If you get sick, you could feel bad. And so your body is not evil, but it's nearly always just controlled by physical external things. And since there's so much bad in the natural realm, your body is often just voting for depression, discouragement, things like that. So your spirit's always for God. Your body is basically just influenced by what's going on around you. And that's usually negative. So it's usually negative. And the establishing vote is your soul, the mental part of you. And if you get your mind stayed on the Lord and begin to start thinking according to what's in your spirit, then you'll always have love, joy, peace, all of the fruit of the spirit, all of the fruit that being God-minded produces. That's listed in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And so you must renew your mind. And I tell you, that's really, really important. Let me just share some real foundational things. These are things that you should understand about your salvation. And I want to share it from an instance where Jesus was ministering salvation to a man in the Bible. In Mark chapter 10, we have it recorded where there was a rich young man who was a ruler, and he came to Jesus. And he desired salvation, or it looked like he did. He was very demonstrative. In Mark chapter 10, In verse 17, and when he was gone forth, this is talking about Jesus, when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now notice he said, Good master, what shall I do? Actually, this is a wrong question. Because true salvation isn't what you do. And I pray that you really understood this. God does not save you because you deserve to be saved, not because you've done something good. There's a lot of people that equate God answering their prayers, forgiving their sins with how good a person they are. 
And because of that, there's some people who have really sinned. Of course, all of us have sinned. Romans 3.23 says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there is not a hell number two or a hell number three. If you miss heaven by an inch, it's the same as missing it by a mile. So the truth is all of us are really in the same shape. But because some people think that God only saves people who are worth being saved, they think that you have to perform and that God answers your prayer for salvation based on how good a person you are. If you think that, there's some people who are just put off, not because they don't believe that God exists, they just believe that they're too bad for God to save. But see, that's not so. God doesn't save us based on what we do. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and salvation is a gift. It says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift to be received, not a wage to be earned. And if you misunderstand that, there are people who are literally separated from God. They know God exists, but they just don't believe that God would accept them because they think God deals with us proportional to our performance. That is not true. God loves you in spite of your sin, not because of your sin or lack thereof. God just loves you. And so this rich young man who came to Jesus was saying, what must I do to be saved? He was wanting to earn salvation with God. And that was actually the wrong question. And even though he ran and fell at the feet of Jesus, Jesus can see right into the heart. And he knew that this man was not truly genuine. And so he said this in verse uh, 18, Jesus said unto him, why are you calling me good? There is none good but one. That is God. In other words, this man had said, good master. He was willing to to come and identify with Jesus and make Jesus an important person, but he was not really willing to worship Jesus as God. And you can see that because down after Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. In verse 20, it says that the rich young ruler answered and said unto him, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. In other words, he dropped the good. If Jesus was saying, either call me God or quit calling me good, because there's only one good, and that's God. Well, then the man dropped the good. So here's something that you must understand about salvation. Jesus isn't just a way unto the Father. It says in John 14, 6, this is Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Jesus is not just a good man. He's not just a man who lived 2,000 years ago and gave us a great example of how to walk in love and humility. No, Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Jesus was not just a man. He was a man who was God-possessed. He was literally God incarnate. And there's some people that don't understand this. They think that Jesus is just a good person. But listen to this in 1 Timothy chapter 3 
and verse 16, it says, without controversy or without any criticism or or argument, nobody can argue with this, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That is talking about Jesus, and it says God was manifest in the flesh. The reason Jesus was crucified was because he claimed to be God, and that's exactly what his accusers accused him of, and it was true. Jesus was God. Now, there, every religion of the world acknowledges that Jesus exists. It's a historical record. There is actually more historical proof that Jesus lived and died and was reported to have raised from the dead, rose from the dead. There's more historical information to prove that than there is about Julius Caesar. Now, that's quite a claim, but I've read a number of sources that say that. There are more independent, verifiable accounts of the life, the resurrection of Jesus than there are any other historical figure that ever walked on the face of the earth. Therefore, every religion, every religion acknowledges Jesus. Like Muslims, they acknowledge that Jesus even was a prophet. They call him a prophet, and they acknowledge him as a good person. But the difference is every other religion will stop short of making Jesus God. And they will say, no, he was just a man. He was an inspired man. He was inspired by God. He was motivated and used by God, but he wasn't God. But see, that's not true. You need to understand, just like this rich young ruler, this man was willing to come and acknowledge Jesus to some degree, but not make Jesus the only way unto the Father. And yet that's exactly what Jesus said of himself in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Actually, if you take Jesus' statements, this whole mindset of other religions that say Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't God, and he is not the only way. There's many ways unto God. People who say that are totally ignoring what Jesus said. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. In uh, John chapter 5, he says, you have to honor me. This is Jesus talking about himself. You have to honor me exactly the way you honor God the Father. Whoever does not honor me does not honor God. And there's many, many other statements by Jesus. Jesus said of himself that he was God manifest in the flesh. Now, if he said that, you cannot honestly logically, in honesty, say that Jesus is a good man only because he claimed to be God. Now, either Jesus was who he claimed to be, which is the truth, and he was God manifest in the flesh, and therefore he died for the sins of the whole world, or Jesus was a charlatan, and he was a deceiver, and he proclaimed deity for himself, and therefore you cannot claim he's a good person. He was either a deceiver or he was God. Everything hinges around Jesus. The way you decide whether something is a cult or not is about how they view Jesus. Again, I say that every religion on the face of the earth and even cults will talk about Jesus because he's the central figure of the human race. But if they ascribe anything less than divinity to Jesus, then it is not the truth. 
and they cannot be saved. There is no way unto God but through Jesus. And somebody might say, well, why is that? That sounds too narrow for me. Well, it goes back to the fact that if Jesus was only a man, then his life being sacrificed wouldn't have been worth any more than just one man's life. In other words, he could have died for one other person maybe and have helped them, but he couldn't die for the whole human race. But if Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, then his life was worth more than all of the lives that have ever lived or ever will live on the face of this earth. The life of God is worth more than the life of all mankind. And so if Jesus was God, which he was, when he sacrificed himself for us, then that means that his atonement was sufficient. It was worthy of the entire human race being redeemed. But if all he was was a man, then his life couldn't have atoned for the entire human race. Now, that's an important, pivotal point. And here is something that uh, this fits right here with what I'm saying, contrasting the attitude towards Jesus with all the religions of the world. One of the things that sets Christianity apart and makes it totally unique is the fact that Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth that has a Savior. In every other religion, they acknowledge a God, but they basically say that the way to relationship with God and the way to eternal life is through some degree of holiness. And the holier you live the more chance you have of of that God accepting you. And it's all based on your performance. In a very real sense, every other religion on the face of the earth makes you your own savior. Depending on how well you live depends on whether you get saved. But in true Christianity, we have a savior. See, we were all sinners. We had all come short of the glory of God. And instead of God demanding that we all live and do everything just right because nobody could do it, he came down for us and took our sin into his own body on the tree. That's what it says in Second Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. Jesus literally came down and took God's wrath against our sin into his own body. He suffered your punishment for sin. Everything that you should have suffered because of the sins that you've committed and that I've committed, all of those sins were placed on Jesus. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For he, speaking of God the Father, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God put his judgment on sin upon his son, Jesus, so that you wouldn't have to bear it. And not only did he place your punishment on Jesus, but then he placed Jesus' righteousness on you. It's the great exchange. The Christian life isn't a changed life. It's an exchanged life. You literally humbled yourself and said, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I receive the salvation that comes through Jesus. And if you mean that from your heart, then boom, 
instantly you become a brand new person in your spirit that was created righteous and holy and pure. There is no sin, no contamination in your spirit. And John 4:24 says God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, God is holy and your born again spirit has now been recreated in that same holiness. You receive the same righteousness that Jesus had and because of this, you are able to fellowship with God spirit to spirit. Your spirit always retains that holy nature even when you sin and come short of what you're supposed to do. Man, that is good news. That is nearly too good to be true news, but that is the truth. And see, every person has to have Jesus as a Savior. Other religions, it doesn't matter if they're devout. It doesn't matter if they shave their head, if they wear a saffron robe and, uh, you know, have a little tin cup and beg for money. It doesn't matter if you beat yourself, if you persecute yourself, deny yourself. That does not produce salvation. Jesus died for us, and it's a matter of receiving that salvation, not trying to do something to earn it. And this is very important that you understand this. You not only are saved initially by putting faith in a Savior, but that's the way you maintain your relationship with God. If you were truly born again, instantly in your heart, there is a change in your desires. You want to live for God. And if you aren't careful, you'll take this desire to live for God and you will literally beat yourself with it because you will fail. You will never be as perfect, as pure, as holy as you should be. Now, you should see change and improvement and there should be some results of what has happened in your heart manifesting in your life. But as long as you're in this physical body, you will fall short. And if you aren't careful, if you've got a changed desire to live for God, you'll beat yourself up and think, how could God love me? But God, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's talking about being born again. Before you were born again, while you were still living in sin, Jesus died for you. But the good news is, that that not only applies to the initial born-again experience, because the next verse says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If you accepted that God loved you while you were still a sinner, before you got born again, enough that Jesus took your sin into his own body and paid for your sin and was literally separated from his Father because you would have been separated from God the Father. So Jesus took your separation and suffered your punishment. If you've accepted that, well, then much more now that you're a Christian when you mess up, when you fall short. Much more God loves you now. God loves you more as a Christian when you sin than he did when you sinned as a lost person. Now, that's not saying that you should still sin and take this for granted. Again, if you are truly born again, there's a desire on the inside of you to live a godly life. But I'm just saying that when you fall short... Don't ever let your failures separate you from the love of God. 
Jesus is the only way. So going back to Mark chapter 10, this is what Jesus was telling this rich young ruler. Why are you asking me? Why are you saying good, master? I'm either God or I'm not good. And the man was not willing to make Jesus the Lord God. He just called him master. And then Jesus went on to say in Mark chapter 10, verse 19, talking to this rich young ruler, he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. Now, again, I say that this was actually the wrong question. This man was saying, what must I do? If he would have said, how do I receive salvation? Now, see, there's a difference in receiving and doing. If he would have said, how do I receive salvation? I believe that Jesus would have said something similar to Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will just confess me as your Lord and believe in your heart that I'm raised from the dead, you shall be saved. It would have been something similar to that. But this man was saying, what do I have to do? And so the purpose of the Old Testament law wasn't to show you what you had to do to be saved. Now, that may be a shocker to some people. They think, well, the Bible says you have to honor your father and mother and do all these things. But actually, God was always willing to give salvation as a gift. But people had misunderstood God's lack of punishment. They were thinking they were pretty good, and they were trusting in themselves and thinking, I think I'm a good person. God's got to save me. God's certainly going to accept me because I'm better than anybody else. And so to remove that deception, God gave the commandments. Thou shalt not do this. And it wasn't so that they could keep all of them, because nobody can keep all of the commandments of God. But rather, all of the commands of God were to show you that you cannot earn the favor of God. There aren't just ten commandments. There are literally tens of thousands of commandments in the Bible, and nobody can keep them all. And here's a truth from the Word of God, James chapter 2 and verse 10, that if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of everything. In other words, God doesn't grade on a curve. It's not do the best you can, and then God will make up the difference with mercy. No, you either have to live holy and receive your salvation because you earned it, which nobody can do that, or you have to receive it by grace as a gift. And so this man totally misunderstood everything, and he was saying, what do I have to do? So God started using the commandments to say, do this and do this, to show him that he couldn't earn it, and that he needed to quit trying and just start trusting. And this man totally was deceived. He was totally deceived, and he says, Lord, I've kept all of these commands from my youth. That's not the truth. Again, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody has ever kept all of the commands of God. This man was deceived. And to prove it, after he said, I've kept all of these from my youth, then it says that Jesus, in verse 21, Mark 10.21, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him. Now I want to point out that Jesus said this because he loved him, not because he was trying to hurt this man, but he was trying to bring this man out of this deception. This man thought that he was holier than anybody else, that he had lived so pure that God owed him salvation. And that kind of attitude would send him directly to hell. And so Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing you lack, 
Go your way, sell whatsoever you have, and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, take up thy cross, and follow me. And in verse 22 it says, He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now Jesus really does not demand that you sell everything you have and give it to the poor to be a Christian. There's other instances, like with Zacchaeus, the little man who climbed up into a tree, and this was a very rich man too. Jesus went to his house, and when Zacchaeus repented, he just voluntarily says, I'm going to give half of my goods to feed the poor and do all these other things. Jesus never mentioned to him about selling his goods or anything. The Lord is not against you having money, but he's against money having you. And basically what Jesus was doing, this man says, I've kept all of the commands from my youth up. You know what Jesus was doing? He was showing him that he broke the very first commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And this man's money was his God. And that's what Jesus was trying to point out. He's not saying you have to sell everything you've got, but you need to put God first. And this man was not willing to put God first. He wasn't willing to acknowledge Jesus as God. He was willing to say he's a good man, he's a great man, and I respect you and I need your opinion. But he was not willing to make Jesus the only way, truth, and life. You know, if anybody is listening to this tape, and if you made a commitment of your life to Jesus in one of my meetings, but somehow or another it didn't come clear to you and you just think that Jesus is uh, a good person. But you believe that you can get to God through many different ways. You believe that Hindus, Buddhists, uh, Muslims, Hare Krishna, Hare Lam, anybody, as long as they believe that there is some supreme being, then they'll be okay. Then you know what? You have not really made Jesus the Lord of your life. I don't know if I'm getting this across properly, but this is what this means. This man would not make Jesus God. Jesus said, I am the way, the way, the only way, the truth, the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. To make Jesus your Lord, you have to first of all bow the knee to his supremacy, to his being God. And if you are unwilling to do that, then you cannot receive the salvation that comes through Jesus. Some people think, well, does everybody need this? What about the people that haven't ever heard? It says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, By one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. You know what that's talking about? That goes all the way back to Adam. And Adam and Eve sinned. And then when they had children, those children were born in sin. It says in Psalms chapter 51, verse 5, this is uh, King David speaking. And he said, in sin did my mother conceive me. That didn't mean that she was out of wedlock when she got pregnant and had David. That meant that you are born in sin. You are born separated from God. A little tiny baby is born in sin. Now it goes on to say in Romans chapter 7 that until the time that the law comes alive on the inside of us, that sin isn't imputed unto us. And what that means is that even though a child is born with a sin nature and separated from God, God doesn't hold that sin against us until we reach what some people call an age of accountability to where you intentionally violate the laws of God. 
And that varies from person to person. You can't set a certain age on it. And so all of us are born in sin. And because of this, we have to be born again. Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, he was one of the Pharisees. He came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. And in verse 2, it says that Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do those miracles that you do except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Some of the translations say, unless a man be born from above. That's basically the point that this is making. And Nicodemus in verse 4 said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, that's talking about, you know, in a natural birth, a child is delivered in the placenta, all of the fluids, the water, unless a man have a natural birth and a birth of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, just as there is a physical birth that granted you entrance into this physical world, there has to be a spiritual birth that grants you entrance into God's kingdom or into the spiritual world. Now, that is a powerful piece of information. And again, what this is saying is that people must be born again. They must have this birth from God. See, true Christianity isn't just an acknowledgement that Jesus existed. It's not just acknowledging Christian details versus Hindu Muslim details. It's not just an, an acknowledgement that something is true, but rather it is a firm belief that something is true. And when that happens, then there is a change that takes place on the inside of a person and they literally get born again. There becomes a brand new you. When Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit that was on the inside of them died. If you would go back to Genesis chapter 2 and read, God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because in the day they ate of it, they would die. And then if you read in Genesis chapter 3 where they actually ate of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they didn't die physically for 930 years. That's how old Adam lived to be. So what did it mean that they would die? They didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. They were separated in their spirit. Their spirit became separated from God. And it began to function on its own or actually under the control of Satan. And every person who has ever been born into the earth is like that. You don't have to take a little baby and teach them how to be selfish and how to be mean and how to be spoiled. It's just the opposite. You have to teach them how to be good. You know why? Because there is a nature, a sin nature on the inside of everyone. Even cute, innocent-looking little babies have this propensity, this nature for sin on the inside of them. And as they grow, it develops. We are all separated from God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And that's the reason that Jesus had to come down and redeem us. We couldn't save ourselves. The Lord, by grace, did not set it up that the good people are accepted by God and the really bad people are rejected by God. 
He didn't do that because he loved us, and that would have meant that according to his standard, everybody would have been rejected. It says again in Romans 3.23 that all of sin comes short of the glory of God. That's God's standard, is the glory of God. In other words, Jesus is how God is, and all of us have come short of that. You might look good compared to me or compared to somebody else, but compared to Jesus, none of us, none of us are holy. None of us are good. And it was because God loved us that he declared us all sinners. Now, somebody may not understand that, but it it meant that instead of the Lord saying, all right, I've got to accept somebody, so I'm going to accept the top 10%, and the rest of you can just die and go to hell. No, that's not what the Lord did, but instead, he says, I love everybody so much, I'm going to make it so that I'm going to redeem you, and the only thing you will have to do is just accept Jesus, my son, as your Savior. And then, if you do that, regardless of how bad you've been, you can be accepted by me. And that's the way that God the Father set up salvation. And man, that is a tremendous difference. See, again, you go back to these other religions, this is something that they don't understand. If you were to have a Hindu, a a Muslim, a Buddhist, and a Christian stand side by side, if you were to ask these other religions, and you know, if they were standing before God, all of a sudden we were in heaven and they were standing before God, and if God looked at all of them and said, what have you done that makes you worthy? to enter into heaven. All of the other religions would say, well, I tried to be holy. You know, I I took an oath of poverty. I rejected myself. I tried to be good unto people. They would mention all of these things that they've done. And God would say, wrong. You go directly to hell. Even though they may have been a relatively good person, they came short of the glory of God, the standard of Jesus. Regardless of how good you've been, who wants to be the best sinner that was ever sent to hell. All of us have sinned and come short. But if you were to ask that to a true Christian, the Christian's response would be, God, I don't deserve it by anything that I've done, but it's because I put faith in Jesus and I accepted what he did for me. That's why I expect to be uh, accepted into heaven. And the Lord would say, welcome you good and faithful servant, and he would accept you on the basis of what Jesus did for you, not what you did for Jesus. Now, that's true Christianity. That is true salvation, and that's tremendous. You know, another thing that needs to be explained, and I haven't got time to fully explain it on this tape, but again, I refer you to this tape set entitled uh, Spirit, Soul, and Body. But when you got born again, you weren't only forgiven of sins up until the time that you made that commitment. But you were forgiven of all sins. Your past, present, and even future tense sins have been forgiven. Now, because of time on this tape, I'm not going to be able to go to Scripture and explain that fully. But in Hebrews chapter 10, I go into a lot of explanation. Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10 talks about eternal redemption eternal inheritance and that you were sanctified and perfected forever. Now, you aren't going to be able to see that in a mirror because it's not your physical body that's been perfected and it's certainly not your mind and thoughts that have been perfected, but in your spirit, you are perfect. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23 says that you have come to the church and to the general assembly 
and to the uh, spirits of just men who have been made perfect. Your spirit has been made perfect, and it will not ever have sin imputed unto it. The benefit of this is that you not only were forgiven of the sins up until the time you made that commitment of your life to the Lord, but you have been forgiven of all sins, even sins you haven't committed yet. Now, I'm not saying that so that you can say, well, then it doesn't matter how I live, because even though God has forgiven you and God is never going to reject you, he's already rejected his son so that you would never be rejected. He judged his son so that you would never be judged. God will never leave you nor forsake you is what the scripture says. He's with you always, even unto the end of the world. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. He's never going to forsake you. But if you go out and live in sin, it says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes for no other purpose except to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan is the thief, and Satan is going to take advantage of your actions. God will still love you if you go live in sin. You do not lose your relationship with God. But when you yield to sin, you yield to Satan, the author of that sin. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. That's simply saying that if you yield to sin, you yield to the one who enticed you into that sin, which is Satan. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation, and it doesn't mean that God quits loving you. But it does mean that you have just given Satan opportunity in your life, and he will eat your lunch and pop the bag. You don't want that. So as much as you can, you need to change your lifestyle. You need to live according to the instructions that God gave in his word so that Satan will not be able to have advantage in your life. But don't ever fall into the deception of thinking that if you do fail, because you will, I fail, everybody fails. And don't ever come into the deception of thinking that if you fail, that God is mad at you and that you've lost your salvation, lost your relationship with God. That's not true. God loves you and you are forgiven of all sins, past, present, and even future tense. But it's to your advantage to live as holy as you possibly can. And when you do fail and do something wrong, be quick to repent and turn away. The word repent simply means to turn around and go the other direction. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to grovel in the dirt and wail and travail and be miserable for a week. It just means turn change go the other direction repent if you find yourself beginning to get mad at somebody the way you did before you got born again don't feel like god quit loving you because of that but change quit because that the bible says in james 3:16 where envying and strife is there's confusion and every evil work if you get into envying and strife god still loves you but it'll confuse you and it will open up a door to Satan in your life. So don't do it. Live holy. But if you fail and come short, don't feel like God's mad at you or he won't love you anymore. Just recognize that's an opportunity for Satan to come into your life. So turn from it quickly and say, Satan, I rebuke you and the blood of Jesus has set me free from this. And even though I didn't do what's right, 
I'm still going to believe that God loves me and you will not destroy me because of this. And then try and do it right the next time. And these are very, very simple truths. I've crammed a lot into this one tape, but it really is just scratching the surface. There is so much more that you need to understand about what true salvation is. The second tape is going to go a step further, and then we have a second tape album that we also give to everyone who receives their salvation, and it's entitled, What is the Baptism of the Holy Spirit? And you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If that's if that hasn't already happened, you need to make sure that you get that tape album and that you receive that experience because the Christian life is not just difficult to live, it's impossible to live without God's Holy Spirit empowering you. God never intended for you to live for him. He wants to live through you through the power of his Holy Spirit. So you must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll be talking about that. But praise God. Welcome to the family. You've made a wonderful decision, and I pray that the things we've talked about today will help you. I've quoted a lot of Scripture. I encourage you to go back and look up these Scriptures. Listen to this tape again until you get these truths down pat, and then follow through on these tapes that we've offered. They will really help you, especially this four-tape album entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body. That's the thing that turned my life around, and I can promise you it will revolutionize your life if you can grab hold of those simple truths. God bless you, and I just believe that this is the beginning of a brand-new, victorious, abundant life right here on the earth, and then when the Lord comes back for us, or if we die before that time comes to pass, you are going to go directly into the presence of God, and you will spend eternity in relationship with God because of the decision that you made to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. That's the most important decision you could ever make. Congratulations.